Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. Roselle Hyde was born May 20th, 1816 at York, Livingston County, New York. By 1833, Roselle's family was living in Freedom, New York, Cattaraugus County, and had heard rumors of Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon. Roselle described these events thus, quote, In the winter of 1833, I first heard the gospel preached by an elder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, previous to which time I had the privilege of seeing a portion of the proof sheets from which the Book of Mormon was printed. The reason I did not embrace the gospel sooner was because of a sort of shyness on my part, being at that time but a young man and never having joined myself to any religious body. End of quote. Well, by 1834, all the members of Rossell's family had joined the church, except him. He was not convinced, and his father had assured him that it was acceptable to take his time and think it over before he made that commitment. Well, as time passed, the convictions of the Hyde family deepened until finally, in obedience to the call of the authorities of the church, the Hyde family moved to Kirtland in February 1836. About one month later, March 27th, 1836, that date should stick in your mind and ring a bell. The Kirtland Temple was dedicated. Hundreds of Latter-day Saints attended the dedication ceremonies, including... Rossell's family, but not him. Since he was not yet a member of the church, he was not invited to attend, nor, I assume, was he interested. Well, as you know from the church's history, it was a remarkable and powerful meeting by any standard. Rossell's younger brother, William, said of that dedication, quote, this was by far the best meeting I have ever attended. The gifts of the gospel were enjoyed in a marvelous manner, and angels administered unto many. End of quote. Well, while the family was in the temple, Rossell was out on the farm, working in the fields some distance from the temple. As he was working, he would later describe that he suddenly heard a sound like the rushing of many waters. He turned and looked toward the temple and saw the heavenly light that surrounded the temple. Others would witness the same thing and describe those events, speaking of the light and the glory that bathed the temple, and even of angels and walking to and fro on the temple and hearing heavenly singing. Rossell saw and believed. He was baptized 
May 8, 1836, by Joel Hills Johnson. Rosell Hyde would stand true and faithful for the rest of his days. He became the father of a noble posterity and one of the earliest pioneers and earliest mayors of Kaysville, Utah. He passed away there in August 1903. My friends, it is a powerfully simple principle. How we act follows what we believe, and what we believe is influenced by what we are looking at. If we would go home to our God, then let us learn from Rosell and look toward his house now, the Holy Temple. In April 1840, two men left Nauvoo to preach the gospel in the eastern United States. They preached held meetings, and baptized as they journeyed. On July 26, 1840, the two missionaries arrived on the Fox Islands off the coast of Maine. As soon as they were ashore, the two elders found a grove of trees and, quote, bowed before the Lord to give thanks to him for the blessings conferred upon them during their journey, end of quote. They then humbly asked for the Lord's blessings upon them while on the island. Within 25 days of their landing, they had held 23 meetings and baptized 24 people. But then, one of the elders, William Hyde, this is Rossell's brother, William Hyde became very ill with typhus. He described it thus, quote, I was taken with a violent attack of the typhus fever. I was confined to my bed for about nine weeks, and it seemed that death was determined to conquer. But through the goodness of God, my life was spared. His companion was Elder John Herrett, whom he says, quote, waited upon me faithfully during my sickness when he was not called away to fill his appointments, end of quote. But then, on October 10th, 1840, Elder Herrett also contracted the typhus. Elder Hyde told of the outcome in his journal, quote, He had not been sick but a short time when he told the people that he should not recover but said that I would get well, meaning Elder Hyde, for thus had the Lord manifested to him. Elder John Herrett died on the 19th of the same month. Elder Herrett was only 38 years of age and was buried there on the island. Elder Hyde shared his feelings of the loss of his beloved missionary companion. Elder Herrett was a good man and was willing to wade through all kinds of opposition for the truth's sake. And whenever he could get the privilege of standing before the congregation of the wicked to declare the truths of the gospel, although opposition might rage, he was in the height of his glory. Our 
hearts were knit together, as were the hearts of David and Jonathan, I felt to deplore my lost. But he rests with those who have overcome and kept the faith. The church, all as one, felt to deplore their loss, and his name and labors whilst with them, will not be forgotten whilst time shall last. His relatives, no doubt, all mourn his absence, but I trust that God will strengthen them by his Spirit and enable them to realize that he rests where troubles, trials, and the vile hand of persecution can assail him no more. My feelings on the occasion were inexpressible. I felt that my loss was truly great. But calling upon God, he strengthened me, and I resolved still to pursue my calling. End of quote. At the conclusion of his missionary service, Elder William Hyde reported, quote, The number in all that were baptized from the time we left Nauvoo amounted to 111, 57 of whom were baptized by Elder Herod. End of quote. Now, my friends, how many today know and can trace their gospel roots to the service of these two humble elders? Does anyone today Remember Elder John Herrett of New Brunswick, Canada? One thing is sure, certain, and comforting for all of us. The Almighty never forgets. In a generation or two, our quiet deeds of love and ministering may be largely forgotten in this world, but not by Him. That which we do send out will come back to us forever. November 21, 1621, Plymouth, New England. The pilgrims sat down to feast with 90 of their Indian brethren. Governor William Bradford offered the following prayer, quote, Lord God, Thy hand has watchfully brought us to this land and given us friendship with the natives that live herein. We do give solemn thanks and praises to thy name. End of quote. You know that these stalwart souls were of a mind to offer such thanks is the story that I would like to tell you this Thanksgiving. Those pilgrims began as separatists from the Church of England. They wanted freedom to worship as they chose, and because of that, they were branded as traitors by the crown and persecuted, sometimes even unto death. And then, moved by the Spirit of God, they set their eyes on the newly discovered land of America. On September 6, 1620, the Mayflower set out with 102 passengers crammed in every inch of space. Consider it. Those pilgrims left all, and they would never return. Well, the voyage was difficult. 
fraught with much suffering, sickness, and even death. As the season advanced, the North Atlantic weather grew colder, food and water became scarce, and it seemed as though the journey would never end. Finally, after 66 days, land was sighted at dawn on November the 19th. They dropped to their knees and thanked God. One of them wrote, quote, We now had no friends to welcome us, nor inns to entertain or refresh our weather-beaten bodies, no houses or much less towns to seek help, end quote. And then she added, and it was freezing cold weather. But they were grateful. Why? On Christmas Day, 1620, they began construction on a common storehouse. But without homes and adequate food, they could never get warm. They weakened and became ill. When they finished the storehouse, it became a hospital. Disease took its toll on them, and as many as two or three settlers died every day. At one time, there were only six healthy people out of more than a hundred who could care for the sick. This was called by them ever after the starving time. Only 51 pilgrims survived that first winter out of 102. Scarcely a family was not hit. Still, after all that, they gathered every day, twice daily, and offered prayers of thanks. And you know, when the Mayflower returned to England in the spring, it is a testimony of the value of freedom to note that not one pilgrim went with her in spite of it all. And then, the Indians, the natives, they had feared them. But when the Indians finally came, they came friendly and with a desire to help, which if you consider how they had already been treated by whites, it was a miracle that they were friendly. The kindness of those early Native Americans saved those pilgrims. Through the summer, the pilgrims worked and hard and hard with little comfort. And when fall came, their harvest was plentiful. They wanted for nothing. And so, filled with the spirit of gratitude, Governor Bradford proclaimed a feast and then added, quote, We will extend an invitation to our Indian friends to join us in the feasting. End of quote. And on the day of the feast, Massasoit arrived with 90 Indians, and for three days they prayed, sang, feasted, played, and bonded as brethren in the family of God. Now, why was there a feast of thanksgiving? What did they have to be grateful for? Well, they had a greater faith tried and true in God. They had freedom and religious liberty, and now they had food, shelter, and friends. And when you think about it, 
what else matters. Their gratitude for simple things changed the lives of millions all the way to your table. I extend an invitation humbly for all of the bickering political pundits, for all of the strife and contention to put it all away if for no more than just this week, put it all away and come to the table meek and lowly of heart, grateful to God for our differences, grateful to God for his bounty. Last story for tonight. I really hope and pray that the Lord will help me with this one because I don't feel adequate to do it justice. After the Lord's resurrection, you'll recall that he led his disciples out to the Mount of Olives, just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, where he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And now, today, we live for that day when he will descend in power and glory. However, what many in the world do not know, you do, is that this was not the last time the Master's feet would touch this earth from the Mount of Olives. Sometime after his ascension, there was a large group of his disciples gathered together somewhere in the Americas at a place called Bountiful. These were his people. They were survivors. They were believers. They were gathered at the temple discussing him. When suddenly, they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven. They looked around but could not understand what it was saying. The voice pierced them to the very center, causing their hearts to burn and their bodies to quake all over. The voice came again, and again they did not understand it. When it came the third time, this time they understood, and they looked up again to heaven. Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name. Hear ye him. And as they looked up, they saw a man clothed in a white robe and descending out of heaven. He came down and stood in the midst of them. No one spake. They thought it was an angel. He stretched out his hand and said, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. And they knew him, and remembered that it had been promised that Christ should show himself unto them 
after his ascension into heaven, all of them fell to the earth. The Savior said, Arise, and come forth unto me, that you may thrust your hands into my side, and also that you may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, that ye may know that I am the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth, and have been slain for the sins of the world. Each of them, one by one, went forth and touched those sacred wounds until they had all gone forth. Every person saw. Every person felt. And every person knew of a certainty that he was Jesus the Christ, their Savior and Redeemer. So overwhelming was that moment that in unison they cried out, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Most High God. And once more they fell at his feet and worshipped him. All their lives they had lived for him, waited for him, learned of him, followed him. And now he was here. And one by one, one at a time, he had time for them. Will his kindness and compassion for the faithful, for you, be any less at his second coming? No. And one more thing in that story. Please let me quote this. After the crowd had cried, Hosanna, it came to pass that he, Jesus, spake unto Nephi, for Nephi was among the multitude, and commanded him that he should come forth. Can you imagine being called up out of a crowd of more than 2,000 people? Listen to what happens next. And Nephi arose and went forth and bowed himself before the Lord and did kiss his feet. Later on in 3 Nephi chapter 17, after the Lord has taught all day, given them all that experience one-on-one -on -one to have a witness with him, at the end of the day, he calls them up and asks if they have any sick among them, and then he heals them one by one again. And then the entire multitude fell at his feet, and as many as could come for the multitude did kiss his feet and bathe his feet with their tears. Do we know the Lord that well? Are we that grateful for all that he's done for us personally and for our families? Are we wise enough to fall on our knees and with all of the sincerity of heart kiss his feet and bathe his feet with our tears? I submit to you 
most of you would be. And for those not, well, there is your goal. Come to an understanding of him such that if you really knew how good a friend he really is to each of us, we would willingly pray for the opportunity to fall at his feet and bathe his feet with our tears and kisses. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.